are continuing our study in our series in the book of Joshua, Set Foot on the Road, Never Traveled. January 17 of this year, here in the Philippines, 17 people died and thousands of people were displaced due to the low-pressure area and the northwest monsoon. And more than 500,000 people across several regions have been badly affected since the start of the year. February 6, 2023, Turkey and Syria were hit by a strong earthquake and more than 50,000 people died. And in just the first two months of this year, a lot of people have suffered and faced difficulties. How about you? How was the year so far? Now, many of us may not have experienced the severe crisis of flooding and earthquake. Nonetheless, many of you probably are facing serious challenges today. Perhaps you are fighting different battles in different fronts, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships. Perhaps you are fighting battles with your health, in your workplace or in your business. And as you face these challenges, as you fight these battles in many fronts, perhaps you feel overwhelmed because you are outnumbered. You face so much difficulties and probably you feel that you lack the wisdom, the strength, and the ability to overcome. So you feel hopeless and helpless in the midst of these circumstances because you are facing against the odds. Now, what should you do in such situation? How can you overcome? Today, I invite you to turn with me as we go back in our study in the book of Joshua and let's journey together and learn from the same experience that Israel had. Here in Joshua 10, they also experienced facing against all odds, but in the end, they gained victory. So together, let us learn what we can do or how we can gain victory against all odds. I invite you to turn with me in Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 to 43. But before that, let's have a quick review. Joshua and the Israelites conquered the whole land of Canaan in the period of seven years. But the book of Joshua only recorded four major battles. The first two is focused on the central campaign, the battle with Jericho in chapters 2 to 6, and the battle with Ai in chapters 7 to 8. The next is the battle with the Southern Canaanite Alliance in chapter 10. And the fourth major battle is the battle with the Northern Canaanite Alliance in chapter 11. And now for today, we will focus on chapter 10, Joshua's military campaign in Southern Canaan. Our story begins with a king, King Adonizedek of Jerusalem. He was a powerful king and, and yet he became very afraid. Why? because he heard something about what's going on in his country. He heard about a group of these desert people, untrained people, and these untrained ones were conquering the cities one by one in the name of their God, Yahweh, and they are moving forward without any stopping. Let's look at chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. It says, Adonisi, the king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai. And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. 
you see intelligence reach King Adonizedek. The walls of Jericho have fallen, and I has been captured. And here's another shocking news. The city of Gibeon switched sides. They betrayed the Canaanite people, and they now made a peace treaty with the Israelites. And this is a serious matter. Why? You see, the Gibeonites surrendered not because they were weak. Actually, they were a strong city. They have strong warriors. But they surrendered because they also felt afraid. Now, if they surrendered to the people of Israel, then that says a lot about the capacity of the Israelites, at least from their perspective. And so one by one, the Canaanite cities are falling into the hands of Israel, and there's no sign of stopping. And if you look at this map, Jerusalem is very near Gibeon, and that green point at the right side is Gilgal. That's the camp of Joshua. And so King Adonizedek felt that he's next in line. Sooner or later, he will have to face Joshua and the Israelites. And so he became very afraid. And yet, for him, surrender is not an option. He will fight unto death. He will fight until the end. He was afraid, but then he wanted to turn things on his side. And so he decided to form a military coalition. He looked for allies so that he could increase his chance of winning. Verses 3 to 5. So King Adonizedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, to Hoham of Hebron, Piram of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lachish, and Debir of Eglon. Come help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. You see, with King Adonizedek as their leader, he formed this five-king coalition, and they combined their forces to attack Gibeon. And what's their military objective? Number one, it's to turn to Gibeon because they, ha they already felt that Gibeon has betrayed them, and so they want to punish Gibeon for betraying them. And second, they formed this coalition hoping to draw out the people of Israel into a fight, and they felt that they could win because they outnumbered them five against one. Now, Gibeon was about a few hours away from Jerusalem, but King Adonisedek has, he has to wait for some, some of the armies from the other kings in the south. So he has to wait for them to form together before they could attack Gibeon. Nonetheless, the formation could reach in just a few hours, and they could be at Gibeon in less than 12 hours. And so that explains the sense of urgency that the Gibeonite quickly sent messengers to Joshua. Look at verse 6. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp at Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. Now imagine if you were Joshua. What would you do? On one hand, Joshua could say, Let's not help the Gibeonites because they deceived us. Let the Canaanite kings kill them. They deserve it. And with that, we can get out of our promise. But on the other hand, Joshua could have also said, look, if we help the Gibeonites, we are putting our lives at stake. It's a no-win situation. The enemies are stronger. They have better armies and weapons. And they have the terrain intelligence, a home ground advantage. And we are outnumbered five to one. And victory is impossible because we are fighting against the odds. Again, if you were Joshua, what would you do? How would you respond? In the story, Joshua honored 
his promise that he made with the Gibeonites and the Israelites follow suit. And with this situation, the Lord taught Joshua and Israel three essential lessons as they fight against all odds. And now these three lessons are very important for us to learn because as we face our battles, we could also apply the same principle, especially when we face battles that seemed impossible to win. Again, these are the three lessons that we will look at. The first, God can use our mistake for his divine purpose. God can use our mistake for his divine purposes. In chapter 9 of Joshua, the other leaders and Joshua committed a mistake. It was not a sin issue, but it was an unwise decision. It was a costly mistake. The people of Gibeon deceived them into making them an ally. And what caused the problem? The people of Israel and Joshua failed to consult the Lord. They failed to ask God and they carelessly made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. But despite this mistake, God turned around the situation and showed mercy to the people of Israel. And the Lord God used this mistake to serve his divine purpose and plan. How? Number one, he used Gibeon as a bait to lure out the five southern kings and their armies. You see, Joshua being the man of God chose to honor that promise and so he rescued Gibeon. And so God used this as a divine setup to lure out the five kings into the open and that was a fatal mistake on the part of the five kings. Why? Because now they are no longer protected by the, their walled cities. They are now out in the open and they are very vulnerable to attack. And second, God wanted Joshua to fight and defeat the five kings in one battle. Why? It's to accelerate conquering the land. Yes, Joshua can fight each one, but it will take time. But in God's perspective, this is something that Joshua can do with his help. Yes, it's more difficult to battle against the five kings in one war, in one battle, but this will fast track the process of conquering the land. It will be difficult, but God has this plan in mind. And so the point is God uses our mistakes for his divine purpose. In 2003, I finished my course, Electrical Engineering in UST, and he started to review for the board exam. Days before the board exam, I discovered something that uh, I realized that my name was not included in the list of examinees. I was shocked and, and I asked what happened. You see, I tried to recall what went wrong and sadly, I realized I made a mistake during the application process. You see, I got confused that there were some documents that I, I, I took home instead of leaving at the final counter. Sadly, I did not realize it until it was too late. During that time, I, I applied around July. My exam was in September. I, I applied around the month of July and I was proud pa nga eh, and uh, ang aga ko nang apply. But then I made a very terrible mistake. Of course, I was sad and I felt bad about what happened. But I know God is teaching me lessons during that time. You see, because of my mistake, I got delayed in terms of getting a license as an electrical engineer. I was delayed for another six months. However, God turned around that situation for his greater purpose. Through that waiting period, God taught me lessons on humility and patience. And by the time I took the exam in April of 2004, I was already working in a company where I had my summer internship. And I was not yet licensed 
licensed engineer then while I was working, but the company allowed me to be a technical assistant. By God's grace, I passed the board exam and finished as top three. My boss was so happy and she organized a celebration lunch for me. And the company president was there together with the division managers. It was a joyful celebration. And I could have not experienced that if I already have my exam before entering the company. But there's more because during that time, after I had my exam, I became a regular employee and I was promoted from technical assistant to building engineer. And so I got uh, two promotions and salary adjustments. So, and I praise God for that opportunity because he alone could orchestrate that he used my mistake to turn it around for his greater purpose and for his glory. And he used that to bless me and to reveal, him, to reveal himself to me. And I praise God for that. How about you? What past mistakes have you committed? What are the wrong decisions that kept you stuck and discouraged? I hope and pray that you would just offer it to God. Bring them to the Lord and watch him turn around your circumstance. Watch him turn around your mistakes for his good purposes in your life. Remember, our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of many chances and he can use our mistakes for his divine purpose. Remember, difficulties can serve as divine setups to help us know God more, experience his power, and move us forward in his plan. Difficulties can serve as divine setups to help us know God more, experience God's power, and move us forward in his plan. This is what I've experienced personally, and I'm sure many of you experience the same, and this is the same experience of Joshua and the people of Israel. And I hope we could always remember this principle. The second, God assures us with his promises. God assures us with his promises. After Joshua got word from Gibeon asking help, here's what happened in verse 7. Joshua and his entire army, including the best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. And despite the odds against them, Joshua made this decision. Let's go. Let's honor our promise and save the Gibeonites. And here's something amazing. As the people of Israel um, move out to rescue Gibeonite, the, the Gibeonites, God gave them this encouragement in verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. This is a command from the Lord. You see, Joshua had every reason to fear. They committed a serious mistake by making Gibeonites their ally. So imagine the psychological effect. So nagkamali na sila. So baka magkamali na naman sila ngayon sa, sa laban nila. But then, when they were about to fight their enemies who outnumbered them, God gave them this encouragement. He said, do not fear. Why? Because God said, I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of then we'll be able to stand up to you. You see, the battle has yet to start, but God already gave this guarantee. I have given you victory over them. You see, God is a great encourager. And this is a special reminder for Joshua because these are the similar words that God gave to Joshua before they fought Jericho in chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 2, God told Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings and its strong warriors. It's a great encouragement. And this word here from the Lord, do not be afraid for I have given you victory over them, the five kings. It's a reminder of how God helped Joshua win their battles in the past. And so dear church, here is an encouragement to us. As you fight your battles, as you face your difficulties, as you face against all odds, remember God's promises. 
Now, I invite you to reflect on these things. Think about your life. Are you in a situation that seems impossible to overcome? Is your circumstance exhausting, frustrating, and even dangerous? And are you facing a crisis beyond your natural ability, wisdom, and strength? If that is so, remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. But not only that, you need to cling and hold fast to His promises. Now, one author said that there's a big difference between having the promises of God and holding fast to the promises of God. You see, many people have the promises of God, but only few hold on to His promises and act on them. Now, let me clarify. What do we mean by holding on fast or holding fast to God's promises? You see, to hold fast is to believe in God's promises and act accordingly. That is true faith. It requires both believing and taking action. Both believing and taking action. And now, there are two obstacles to true faith, and it comes in two extremes. One is paralyzing fear, and the other is prideful confidence. You see, these are the two enemies of true faith, of holding fast to God's promises. On one end is having excessive fear that paralyzes you from taking action. On the other end is excessive self-confidence that blinds you from reality. So, dear church, we have to be careful about these things. Now, you see, Joshua, he resisted both extremes. Yes, he's fighting against the odds, but he did not let fear stop him. And also, he did not blindly move forward, presuming that they would win easily. Instead, Joshua and the Israelites held on to God's promises as they act accordingly. In May 1940, during World War II, Germany advanced in France and Belgium, trapping the Allied troops in the beaches of Dunkirk. It was a hopeless situation for the British side because Hitler and his army, they're about to destroy the Allied forces. The British government tried to send a rescue mission, and it's estimated that only 30,000 soldiers will be saved from this. And so Prime Minister Winston Churchill found himself preparing a possible speech wherein he would tell the bad news that a lot of their soldiers died, thousands of them. But on May 23, 1940, King George VI requested that the following Sunday should be observed as a national day of prayer. And later that Saturday evening, the military decision was taken also, and they decided to evacuate as many possible Allied forces as they can. And so on that Sunday, the entire nation devoted itself to prayer. On that same day, about 800 boats, on that same day, about 800 boats of all sizes and shapes crossed the English Channel to rescue the trapped soldiers. It was a very dangerous mission. But here's one miracle that happened. Even before the prayer began, Hitler all of a sudden uh, ordered the army to stop And so for three days, the German tanks and soldiers stood idle while the evacuation unfolded. You see, Hitler said, I don't want the tanks to move forward. What I want is the the German Air Force to to finish the job. But then during that time, the skies were cloudy, so the German forces were not able to, to kill these soldiers as well. And by the time, after three days, by the time the German army was finally ordered to renew its attack over 330,000 soldiers have been rescued, including the French, Belgian, Dutch, and Polish soldiers. 
and many of these soldiers would return four years later to liberate Europe on D-Day. You see, the King of England and the British people hold on to God's promise as they prayed. And at the same time, the British army worked also and acted accordingly despite the odds. Dear church, God calls us to hold on to God's promises. Let us believe his promises and let us act accordingly. So may the Lord help us. Next, God supplies us with his supernatural resources. Joshua chapter 10 shows us how God supplies us with his natural resources in three ways. First, he gives us the strength to fight and endure. In verse 9, it says, Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. Did you hear that? It says they traveled all night. Think about it. What happened here in verse 9 is a miracle in itself. You see, to reach Gibeon, the Israelites have to climb a, about 1,000 meters of height in a distance of 32 kilometers. You see this map? They are camped at Gilgal, and then for them to reach uh, Gibeon, they have to cross the, the mountain areas, and they have to climb as fast as they can, and they have to run. And they needed to do it overnight. So imagine if you're one of the soldiers of Israel, you have to march and run uphill all night with all your weapons and supplies for about 8 to 10 hours. And so imagine the Israelite soldiers, they were very tired when they arrived at Gibeon. It's like running a marathon and after that fighting your enemy upon arriving. And that would require supernatural strength and endurance. That's what happened here. But praise God, the Lord empowered Joshua and the people of Israel to win this battle. When they arrived, the Israelites took the enemy by surprise. It was an ambush and a surprise attack. Yes, the Israelites were tired, but God gave them the perfect opportunity to show him his power. God gave them the strength when they needed it most. You see, in their weakness, God showed himself strong. Again, their church, this is the same principle that applies to us. You see, God doesn't want us to rely on our own strength. Instead, in our weakness, God wants us to rely on him so that he could display his power. Next, God fights our battles. As Joshua and the people of Israel faced the odds before them, God would repeat this important lesson that he taught them before. The battle belongs to the Lord. You see, that is what God taught them in Jericho and I. And once more, God will show to his people again this lesson that here in this battle, the battle belongs to the Lord. Look at verse 10. The Lord threw them into great panic and the Israelites slaughtered a great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makeda. Notice what it says. It's God who caused the Amorite forces to go into panic. And the result? They could not think well, they could not fight well, and that enabled the Israelites to kill many of their enemies. And here's another miracle in verse 11. As the Amorites retreated down the road, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven, and that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with a sword. Again, did you hear that? The hail from God, the hail from heaven killed more of the enemy. You see, some hailstones are small, but some are really big enough to kill you. Just look at this photo. It's about seven inches in diameter. And it's 
very heavy and it could kill you instantly when it hits you on the head. Now, the miracle that happened here in this verse is a display of God's power and God's miracle. Why? It's because the hailstone rained down at the right time at the right place and it targeted the right people. You see, this is an open country. Both Israelites and the enemies were fighting each other, but the hailstorm only targeted the enemies. It's like a smart bomb or a guided missile that God used to cripple the five king coalition. That's the miracle that God gave. And now this event is a display of God's divine strategy to show that he himself is the one who's fighting and winning this battle on behalf of his people. And this truth is affirmed in verse 14. It says, Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. And here's the point. God did more of the fighting than the Israelites. And so, dear church, let us remember this principle. As we fight our battles, God is our majority partner. He does more of the fighting for the battle belongs to him. The battle belongs to the Lord. In October 6, 1973, it's Yom Kippur, but then war erupted. It's the day of Jewish atonement, and it's a major holiday in Israel. So most of the people are at home, repenting of their sins and observing a fast. So up north in the Golan Heights, the border between Syria and Israel was left lightly guarded. But suddenly, the Syrians attacked and were bombarded the unexpected Israel army. And here's a comparison of the two armies during that time at the first attack. Israel had 6,000 soldiers, 60 cannons, and only 170, 170 tanks. Syria, they have 50,000 soldiers, 600 cannons, and 1,200 tanks. And so they, they caught Israel by surprise. Israel was outnumbered by at least seven to one. However, there's more. In the south, Egypt also launched a simultaneous attack. The Egyptian army crossed the Suez Canal, and their aim is to gain the lost territory and both Syria and Egypt, they work together and their aim is to split the defenses of the Israeli forces. And so what happened? During the first three days of the war, the Syrians and the Egyptians seemed to be winning. But after three days, with God's help, it's also a miracle, the Israelites stopped the Egyptian offensive and pushed back the Syrians as well. And that war lasted for a total of 16 days. Both have severe casualties, but in the end, despite being outnumbered, be, despite being surprised, Israel won as well. And I personally believe that it was a miracle that God himself helped his people win this war. And so again, the point is, God is the one who fights our battles. He is the one who fights for his people. So dear brothers and sisters, what are the battles that you're facing today? Is this a battle in your family, in your health, in your relationships or your work or your finances? Always remember that God is the one who would fight for us. Just ask him and let him be your majority partner and let him more, do more of the fighting on your behalf. And that leads us to our last point. He answers our prayers. God answers our prayers. Verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. And what did he pray for? 
Joshua said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as for about a whole day. You see, Bible scholars were divided whether this event was literal or figurative. Some conservative Christians says that the earth's rotation actually slowed down. But whatever the case, whether it's literal or figurative, the overall effect was the same. Time miraculously slowed down and time miraculously stopped completely. And again, the, here's the key lesson. It is God who answers our prayers. This is what it says in verse 14. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such prayer. You see, Joshua dared to ask God for help at the right moment, at the crucial moment during the battle. Instead of being overwhelmed by the odds, Joshua prayed to overcome the odds. Instead of being overwhelmed by the odds, Joshua prayed to overcome the odds. And what did he pray for? He prayed for God to keep the sun from setting and to give him extended time and to finish fighting the enemy. And praise God, the Lord answered Joshua's prayer and so he was able to defeat the five kings and their armies in one day. You see, God invites us to do the same. He invites us to pray to him, to rely on his strength. Now the question is, when was the last time you prayed big prayers? Again, reflect on your life. When was the last time you asked God to move mountains? Now these two questions are important, but before you answer those questions, you need to ask this more important question. How big is your God? How big is your God? Author J.V. Phillips in his little book, a classic 1952 book entitled, Your God is Too Small. He said, and this is the idea of the book, all of us have created an image of God in our minds and that image is simply not adequate. It's not big enough. You see, we say we praise God, we follow God, but somehow the, the God that we serve, the God that we pray to is a small God. It's a God inside the box. And this is a challenge for all of us. We need to come to terms and realize how great, how big God is. And I pray that all of us, one of our core value and one of our mission is to know God, to be intimate with Him. And all of us, we need to know how big our God is. And when we see how big God is and how small we are, that would help us to worship Him. That would encourage us to move towards Him in faith. And that would enable us to bow down on our knees and say, God, you're so big, you're so mighty. And we are so small, we are so helpless. But God, you are our help. And all we can do is to rely on you, trust in you, bow down and worship. Church, how big is your God? I pray that you would seriously consider this question. You see, the size of your God will determine the size of your faith, which will determine the size of your prayer. The size of your God will determine the size of your faith, which will determine the size of your prayer. In March 2002, that was 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I got an invitation to join an international students festival in Germany. It's supposed to be a one-week festival in, during that time in June. 
I was happy because I got accepted. But here's the problem. I need to raise my own funds for the trip. I need $1,000 for the plane fare. I need $300 to $400 for the Euro rail or for the train because we'll be traveling from uh, a long distance. I also need pocket money. So back then, I was 21 years old. I was fourth year in college. I had no money. It's like I'm fighting against the odds. It was impossible. Now, you, you see, I really wanted to go. And so I started praying and asked God for a miracle. I started to write, uh, look for sponsors, and I wrote to two companies. And praise God, by a, around April, I, I got $450 initially. Again, my goal is to, I, ha I have to live, I, I, I have to fly to Germany by, by end of May so that I can attend it. Now, I, I, I got that uh, $450, but then I did not give up. I, I kept praying and acted in faith. And somehow, God prompted me uh, to book the flight by, by end of April. I made the decision to book my flight even if wala pa akong money. I just asked uh, until when I can pay for it and at the same time, if I cancel it, how much would be the penalty? So sabi sa akin ng travel agent, oh, penalty is $100. Sabi ko, sige, it's worth the risk. So I booked it and I started really praying. And so I also journal this uh, experience and this is yung copy ng journal na nakikita nyo. No? So I sought God in His Word and somehow God through His Word spoke to me. And these are the verses that I reflected upon. The first is Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, As sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And so the next few days, I also reflected on these two more verses in Jeremiah 27, 5 and 32, 27. With my great power, God is speaking here, with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. I give it to anyone I please. And God said, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? You see, during that time, I was just really praying, Lord, I claim this promise. You said, I reminded God, Lord, you said, there is nothing too hard for you. I prayed to God and sought him. And I, young as I'm young then, I'm also, I, I asked God by faith, like a child, I asked, Lord, can you please show me a rainbow? Because in the story of Noah, it's a sign of your covenant. Please give me a sign, a rainbow. So there were about times na nakakakita ko ng rainbow, mga two or three times during that time. It encouraged me. But then parang it was a seesaw experience because I don't know if God really wanted me to go or not. Sometimes I would read an article, no? God will, it says in the article that God is teaching us to be content. We just trust in Him. He has greater plan. And so, ibig ba sabihin ng Lord, hindi ako matutuloy. You're teaching me to be content? I don't know. But I kept praying and praying. And now, as the date comes closer, something happened. I started to write this, so parang nag-accelerate, no? Seven days to go, there was no money yet, but I saw a rainbow, so na-encouraged ako. And then the next day, Saturday, God spoke, me. God spoke to me through His Word. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And it says in Matthew 21, 22, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And so I just continued to pray. I continued to believe what I asked in prayer because I know I have a big God. Five days to go, May 25, Pure Foods won the basketball championship. And my connection yun sa story. 
Because after that, my mentor, Sir Monchito, he was a former Pure Foods manager. And so he invited me to attend the victory party of Pure Foods in Robinson's Galleria, in Limits Disco. My Limits Disco pa nun sa Galleria. You know, during that time, medyo hopeless na ako sa Lord, mukhang hindi naman ako matutuloy. Sige, mag na lang ako para tanggap ko naman na hindi na ako matutuloy sa trip, so at least I can enjoy myself. And you know, I attended the party. Alvin Patrimonio spoke, and hindi ko naalala yung, mga sina- yung ibang sinabi niya, but ito yung tumatak sa isip ko. Alvin Patrimonio said, God is good all the time. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. God is good all the time. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. Sabi ko, yes. I know. I know. And so after the party, umuwi ako. I had a clear understanding na hindi na ako matutuloy. It was about midnight, 11 p.m. or 12 midnight. I was walking around Araneta. If you're familiar, dun sa may area, sa may sanctuarium, Araneta. Naglalakad ako. Malapit kasing bahay namin dun eh. So, it was about midnight. Sabi ko, bakit? It's like medyo maliwanag. Medyo maliwanag yung place. So, tumingala ako. Sabi ko, wow, there's a full moon. But then, to my surprise, this is what I saw. There's a full moon and there's a rainbow around. Sabi ko, wow, praise God. You know, at that time, ang lumabas lang sa mouth ko, sa heart ko is, Lord, I praise you, not because what you could give me, but because of who you are. At that time, I surrendered to God and said, Lord, let your will be done. I know and I want to praise you, not because of what you could give me, but because who you are. You deserve to be praised. You are the great and mighty God. Nothing is too difficult for you. So pag ko, I was surprised. My papa, my, my dad, was, he was still alive then. Gising pa siya. And he, the first word he said is, is your faith in God that strong? Sabi ko, yes. And my dad replied back, sabi niya, God really works in mysterious ways. Don't you know that you got a sponsor? Someone will support you. Your uncle will support you in this Germany trip. Of course, I was so happy. But I was at the same time mixed emotions. Hala, two, uh, two days na lang kailangan ko nang umalis or one day na lang. And so ang, kailangan kong, ang dami kong kailangan ayusin. But then I was so amazed by God's timing, by God's providence. Indeed, He is the God who answered my prayer. Did God answer my prayer because I have a big faith? Well, I could say even my faith is, is small, but I think it's already enough. Even if my faith is as small as a mustard seed, what imp- what's important is I have a big God who is able, who is mighty, and who hears the prayer of his people. And so to cut the long story short, I was able to, to receive all the money that I needed, the, the, the plane fare, the, the train, the, the pocket money. I was able to go to Germany, not just in one week. One week in Germany for the students' festival, but then two more weeks around Europe with, with some of the, uh, my, my schoolmates from UST and other Filipino delegates as well. So we met a lot of people uh, from different countries. We enjoyed our time. And for us, of course, the my, mga kasama ko from UST, we traveled around Europe. In Netherlands, in Paris, in Monaco, in Milan, in Venice, and Rome, all expense paid. That was 21 years ago. And I still vividly remember God's word that imp- was impressed in my heart. God is a big God. So dear church, here is my question for all of us. How big is your God? 
how big is the God that you serve, how big is the God that you believe, and how big is the God that you follow. You see, this is very important because the size of your God will determine the size of your faith, which will determine the size of your prayer. And so may we always remember this, that difficulties can serve as divine setups to help us know more who God is and experience his power and move us forward with his plan. So dear church, how big is your God? May the Lord help us. Now let's go back to our story. You see, the Lord answered Joshua's prayer. And with God's help, Joshua defeated the five king alliance despite the odds. And they've won this great battle. And what's next is we can read this, what happened next from verses 16 to 27. And after that, it summarizes how the Israelites defeated the other cities in southern Canaan. After defeating the five kings at Gibeon, then they defeated the cities, Makeda, Libna, Lachish, Gezer, Eglon, Hebron, and Debir. One by one, these southern cities fell. And here's how the author summarized and concluded the conquest of southern Canaan in verses 40 to 43. Joshua conquered the whole region, the kings, the people of the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, the mountain slopes. And he completely destroyed everyone in the land, leaving no survivors, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. And Joshua slaughtered them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the region around the town of Goshen and Gibeon. Joshua conquered all these kings and their land in a single campaign, for the Lord, the God of Israel, was fighting for his people. Note again what it says in verse 42. Joshua conquered all these kings. Joshua conquered all these kings in a single campaign. And the Lord God of Israel was fighting for his people. That was the reason why Joshua was able to do this. It is the Lord who fought for his people because the battle belongs to him. Now in closing, let's go back and reflect on these two leaders. Joshua and King Adonizedek. Both leaders faced and fought against all odds. The pagan king, Adonizedek, he looked at his own might. He relied on his own wisdom and he relied on the power of men to save him. In the end, the five king coalition failed him. His trust in human might, in human wisdom, in human power failed him. On the other hand, the godly leader Joshua marched in faith despite the mistakes that they've made, they trusted in God's promises. And by faith, Joshua trusted God's supernatural resources. By faith, Joshua won the battle against the odds because the Lord was with them and God honored their faith. Your church, how about you? As you fight your battles, as you face the odds, to whom will you look to? Who is the one that you would ask for help? Will you look to yourself? Will you look to people around you? Will you rely on your own strength, your wisdom, or the wisdom of others? Or will you trust in God? Will you trust in his resources? And will you trust in his power? What would be your choice? Will you be King Adonizedek or will you be Joshua? May the Lord help us. Remember, as we fight 
against all odds, we need to remember these important lessons. God can use our mistakes for his divine purpose. God assures us with his promises, and God supplies us with his supernatural resources. He's the one who gives us his strength to fight and endure. He's the one to fight our battles, and he is the one who could answer our prayers. And so, dear church, may this lessons be something that we live out for God's glory and for our good. God can use our mistakes for his divine purpose. God assures us with his promises and God supplies us with his supernatural resources. He gives us strength to fight and endure. He fights our battles and he answers our prayers. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the story of Joshua chapter 10. Thank you for reminding us that you are a God who works miracles. You are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. You're the God who uses our mistakes for your divine purpose. And you are the God who encourages us with your worry, with your promises. You are the God who supplies us with everything that we need, the supernatural resources that we need as we fight our battles. And so, Lord, forgive us for many times that we have failed to trust you. You are a big God, but we tend to forget. We easily forget how big you are, how great you are. And so, whenever we face problems, you're the last person that we go to. You're the last thing that we, we think about. You're, you're, you're not our priority. And so forgive us because we tend to rely on our own strength or someone else. Forgive us, Father, and help us to return to you. And Lord, today we acknowledge that you are the creator of heaven and earth. With your great power and mighty arm, you created everything. By the power of your word, you came, everything came into being. And nothing is too difficult nor too impossible with you. So help us, O oh God, to have this, to know you as a God who is big, who is worthy of our praise. A God who is strong and mighty, an ever-present help in trouble. And so as we fight our battles, help us, Lord God, to have breakthroughs. Help us, Lord, as we face the odds, show us your glory. Lord, heal our sickness, restore our bodies, restore our health. Mend our broken relationships. Comfort us in our pain, O oh God. Provide for our needs physically, emotionally, financially. Show us the way how to move forward. Give us wisdom and discernment for every decision that we make. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the calling that you've given us, to the mission that you have entrusted to us. Give us the courage and strength to obey and endure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We know that you hear our prayers through Christ our Lord. And now, as you bow your heads, receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you once more for joining us. I hope God's word would encourage us throughout the week. Have a blessed week ahead. See you again next time.